Blog Talk Radio. Good afternoon. This is Dr. Simon. My show is called The Stories We Live By. And um, here in sunny, hot, and pandemic-ridden Florida, uh, I uh, finally decided, I haven't done a show in a while now, uh, it's sort of been overwhelming for my wife and I. Um, the number of cases keeps rising. The president keeps denying that anything is happening. And Governor Ron DeSantis, who is the president's best toady and psychophant, um, does what he can around the edges, but ultimately really doesn't take the, the rising catastrophic number of numbers uh, seriously, and it's depressing. <clears throat> I was going to well, get in a car uh, and maybe take the auto train or drive to New York where I would wait out, my wife and I would wait out to the hurricane season, uh, but that can't happen. We're both too frightened uh, to get in the car and drive, uh, or even take the auto train. I mean, whatever precautions they might take. But anyway, I decided to do this show and there's a political motive behind it. Um, anything I can say as a psychologist, uh, that would just uh, help uh, persuade somebody, one voter, two voters, 50 voters, to stand fast and not vote for Donald Trump, uh, I'm willing to do. But this week, I read Mary Trump's book about Donald Trump and was very moved by it. And then yesterday, <clears throat> watched most of the interview. In fact, my wife says she could rewind the TV and find the entire interview of Donald Trump with, um, uh, uh, never mind, what's his name for channel on, uh, uh, on Fox, uh, Chris Wallace, who did a really fabulous interview. Uh, he's a good reporter. And between the book and the um, uh, interview, which I found extraordinary, I decided really I should have changed the topic to understanding or explaining Donald Trump. Uh, I recommend her book. I recommend it on a number of levels. Uh, one, it is very insightful. It's written by a woman who knew Donald Trump and knows Donald Trump all of her life so that the range of behaviors uh, uh, that she can describe uh, as a member of the family, uh, is, as an insider, is enormous. And I'll explain why that's important in a moment. She's also a clinical psychologist, has a PhD in clinical psychologist at Adelphi University. I lived 20 minutes from Adelphi on Long Island. And in the 1991 and 1992, I actually taught part-time at the university. Not in the graduate program, but in the university. Nice campus, uh, good school. Um, 
so I decided to do the show and having this wide range of information and then watching Donald Trump uh, had this insight. And this morning opened up my Twitter account and somebody wrote, my God, he's literally three years old. And I had already thought those words. And I came back a little later because I wanted to announce my show as a retweet of that person's uh, tweet because that was the insight I have. To understand Donald Trump, you have to think of him as psychologically three or four years old. Now, Mary Trump describes the behavior, and let me talk a little bit about uh, when you try as a psychologist to explain behavior. Uh, there are different theories. You need a theory to explain behavior, but first you have to describe the behavior that you're interested in. Mary, as a clinician, still operates on the medical model of psychiatry, the DSM, the Diagnostic Statistical Manual of Mental Illnesses, to try and find the right diagnosis. And anybody who has followed my show knows that I don't accept that the DSM is anything but bad names, that moral judgments that you put upon somebody's behavior and then pretend it has something to do with medicine. And I could tell you I'm a part of, uh, of uh, the editorial board of Ethical Human Psychology and Psychiatry, and I'm part of a movement trying to get any number of people to write articles describing their professional work as psychologists or specifically as psychotherapists and not use any medical terms such as patient, therapy, get rid of the whole kit and caboodle, symptoms, mental illnesses, symptom reduction, treatment. She still uses that, and I'm not critical. She does it well, uh, and at one point she says, if you look at Donald's behavior, you could come up with any number of diagnoses. So they would need a large battery of psychological tests to come up with a, an overarching diagnosis. And I don't believe that'll ever happen. <clears throat> Anybody's behavior will show a variety of, of unwanted, troubled and troubling aspects that can then be labeled and come up with a diagnosis. So that when you get to know somebody over time, you realize you could come up with four, five, six, ten diagnoses because you're really diagnosing specific behaviors, a way a person is, if you will. And as a result, uh, there is no overarching diagnosis. Um, so what, what I have been doing in my writing, in my last book uh, and a number of books before, I look not at the behavior of the individual, but at the story they tell. And all of us behave according to what we believe is factually true about the world and what we believe is morally right about ourselves and the world. 
And the story then reveals what a person thinks and says and does and how they emotionally feel about themselves and the world. Emotions being like uh, um, love and hate, anxiety and fear, joy, pleasure, guilt, shame, which then motivate behavior. The emotions that are pleasant, we act to try to make more of them. We want to be happy and joyful, and we don't want to feel ashamed, and we don't want to feel anxious or fearful. What I look for when I listen to a person's story is how does the person feel about themselves, and what do they uh, tell me about how they think and feel as a human being. What does it feel like to be them? When I sat down uh, with somebody I used to call a patient, and now I'm in this struggle to come up with new names for my patient, I could just call myself a psychologist. I wouldn't have to use psychotherapy. If I made a business card, psychologist. But the people I work with are just the people I work with. Uh, but they're not patients. And the question I ask is, what does it feel like to be them? What does it feel like for me to be me with them? And what does it feel like for them to be with me? And work from there. And if you read my book or any of my books, I also frame the narrative in terms of how it may be shaped politically. In an authoritarian, and I focus on that because Donald came from a very authoritarian family as, as Mary Trump, uh, his niece, uh, describes it. In a hierarchical chant, you are, have to accept without, without, without revealing otherwise that you feel you are better than those lower than you in the hierarchy And you're not as good as those above you. Those above you have to be aggrandized. They have to be complimented. Their word has to be law. And those below you have to do the same to you because what we do to those below us is dehumanize and, if necessary, demonize them because once we do that, we can do anything to them. And the system I believe I want to live in and must to a degree, because I can now be critical of, of the hierarchical system, the authoritarian political system that can exist in families, in schools, and in society at large. When I, I look, I want to be in a democratic where we take for granted that while I may do something better than somebody else, and I may not do something else as well as somebody else, I'm not essentially, and they're not essentially, any less valuable as human beings than I am. We're all equal as human beings. That's what the Constitution, that's what our framing fathers, even those of them who kept slaves at the time. And the reason they could keep slaves is because they had dehumanized black people. They didn't see them as human. They saw them as cattle. They saw them as breeding stock, a very terrible thing which is not really where I want to go with this. But now I read 
uh, uh, Mary's book, uh, uh, Dr. Trump's book. I don't know her well enough to call her Mary. Um, and again, recommend it very highly. And I have a range of behaviors, and I can now guess at what it was that how Donald felt as a human being. And I think from the time he was a little boy, he thought and felt very much as he does today. And that the behavior that he showed with Chris Wallace, and he's been showing us for a very long time, is very consistent, although now I do believe either he's so overwhelmed by the task that he has ahead of him, which is to keep power, which is really his only goal, uh, is, is so great, or there's something really neurologically going, neurological going on. My guess is, and his father had dementia, which became, uh, 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 he died of Alzheimer's. This may be the beginning of Alzheimer's. But I was watching with Chris Wallace, was really a little boy, psychologically a little boy. And I want to explain that. So my take and what I'm looking at is different than uh, Mary Trump. Um, then after we both understand what we're trying to get at, she's trying to get at a diagnosis and I'm trying to get at what it feels like in my book. The subtitle is of my book is from authoritarianism to democracy from psychiatric diagnoses to narratives or stories about human experiences. Um, but we're describing the same thing. And then another significant piece is trying to explain why is the person this way? And when you read about his father and his mother and the entire family and how authoritarian and, and tragic it was, how thoughts and feelings had to be the father's, how emotions had to concur with what the father thought of emotions, which was really, if they're not positive, you can't express them. Can't say you're unhappy. Everything's wonderful. Everything's great. And that's it. I agree with many of her assessments that he was shaped in, in the crucible of that family. But I have another take on that too. I don't think any of us will ever explain why any human being is the way they are. Yes, the family shapes who we are. And yes, I believe that the politics in that family and in your school and in the society at large also shapes who we are. But it doesn't explain all of it because there are still differences. Now, go into her life a little bit, and I'll talk about this more at the, at the end of my presentation. Mary Trump's father was Fred Jr., known as Freddie. He was the oldest son of Fred Trump, the autocratic, tyrannical businessman father. And Fred never could, 
Freddie, as he was called, never really could be what the father wanted him to be. And in my own book and my own writings, I believe that every human being must be part of a family, a family of human beings and a family of society and a culture. You can't live as an isolated being. We can't survive that way, and I don't think we can thrive as human beings. But at the same time, every human being, for whatever reason, and again, I can't explain it, looks out at the world and wants to be something different <clears throat> and individual. And in Freddie's case, he loved flying, he loved fishing, he had a pilot's license, <clears throat> and as he tried to break away from the family, he became a, a, a pilot in the newly burgeoning uh, jet travel industry. He was a first-class pilot. But he couldn't sustain it, according to Mary, and I can accept the dynamic. And he, he couldn't be what he wanted to be because he couldn't pull free of his father. And the father demeaned and would not allow him or give him nurturance that he would need to separate himself from the father's dreams that he be part of the building uh, 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 the industry that the father ran. <clears throat> Trump Industries. To me, just saying that is not enough. But Donald became part of that, but also not fully part of it, because Donald went his own way. Now, there's another issue here in trying to understand where somebody is and the story that they live by. Not only how they think and, and, and how they feel, and what are the facts that they believe that guide their decisions? And what are, are, are the things that threaten? And what are the things that are seen as safety? And what are the things that are right and wrong? But how, on a developmental level, somebody thinks and feels? And I add the psychologist Piaget, Jean Piaget, a developmental psychologist, into all of my thinking. And I'm not going to go into really uh, um, the kind of, of, of theory that he had and describe it, except to say that a three-year-old thinks very differently than the same person if they go through the stages of development, the intellectual stages of development, and reach adulthood from the standards of logic and reason that we recognize as defining adulthood. So I don't think you could understand Donald unless you understand a little about how three-year-olds think. Right? And I want to go through some of the characteristics of three-year-old thinking because to see or understand how Donald Trump feels as a human being how he interprets his world, what gets him excited, what makes him frightened, what makes him happy, if such an emotion exists in Donald Trump. Uh, um, within the dynamics of the family, we have to understand a little bit about what Piaget calls pre-operational thinking, and I won't even try to define that. Right? But the thinking of a three-year-old 
who won't develop. And here again, Piaget believed that these are maturational, and he gave ages to the stages. So a baby thinks a certain way and perceives the world until two. Between two and seven is the child's preoperational thinking, where I believe Donald never left, and I'll describe why. Seven to 11, the person now starts to think like an adult, but still has a child's way of experiencing the world. And after 11, now can think in the reasoned way we expect an adult in our society to think. And what's so interesting about this is that it's not tied to age, it's tied actually to the development of the individual. We don't progress or develop any skill, and this includes thinking and how we experience the world. We don't progress unless it's through the interaction with human beings, through an education. And in my book, I write about the fact that I did much more therapy with people, in quotes, because that's where I put it, as a teacher than I did as a therapist. Uh, why? Because I help people develop the kind of thinking that allows them to reason like a scientist, to reason like a lawyer, to reason in ways that allows them to make predictions and get the world under much greater control than they would as a three-year-old. Right? My motto is good therapy, good education is therapy, and therapy is really a form of education. Right? So, what is the defining aspects of a three-year-old, a four-year-old, five-year-old? One, Egocentrism. Everything revolves around the child. He is the center of the universe. Back when uh, 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 Galilei Galileo got into trouble with the church is because he not only was uh, 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 saying that the world was round, but it wasn't the center of the universe. The whole society was more <clears throat> egocentric in the 1500s. It was believed that where would God put his favorite creatures except at the center of the universe? The three, four, and five-year-old thinks he is the center of the universe and that everything that happens happens to him or he made it happen. And if that isn't Donald Trump, I don't know what is. Everything that Donald Trump talks about involves him. Okay? Next, magical thinking. One of the struggles all human beings have as they grow up is to differentiate between a real action and an actual event and a dream or a wish. If you've ever had a really bad dream and you wake up and it takes you a few moments to figure out it was a dream. This didn't really happen. <clears throat> My child didn't die. I didn't get the cancer. I, in other words, the event is in thought. It's not in what we would call reality. 
It's not an actual event that others can experience along with us, which is really the hallmark of what happens in adults. Adults look at the world and they say, yes, I see it's raining. The child, if he doesn't want it to rain, it won't rain. He could deny the reality, but the child also could get all kinds of trouble if you believe wishes are real. I just wrote a paper uh, in which I said, if we have an adult who wishes somebody to die and a child who wishes somebody to die and the, somebody actually dies, the child may very well believe he's responsible for the death of that individual. The adult, not so likely. Although, again, to the degree that any adult still retains these magical thoughts that wishes can make things happen. As I watch Donald Trump with the pandemic as a source of great frustration and fear, he doesn't want it there, and he's constantly trying to wish it away. Doesn't have any responsibility towards it. The child has a different level of empathy. Excuse me has a different empathy than an adult if the adult has progressed in the development of their thinking. A child at three or four or five can get very upset if they see another child or an adult cry. But what an adult can do is look at another human being and say, I kind of know how he feels because I can put myself in their shoes. Piaget calls that decentering. There's now much less egocentric. We can thought our way or think our way into the mindset of another person. And much of the ability to be a good psychologist. And when I used to work in therapy, and they would say, a patient would say to me, or a person I called a patient, putting it in quotes, how do I become like you I said do what I do you want to ask a person how they feels you want to ask somebody about their life situation you want to listen to what they have to say what they're willing to say and not try to coerce them into saying what it was like and how it felt to be in their house in their classroom in their school when the worst thing in the world was done to them or when they did the worst thing in the world to somebody else. Donald Trump cannot empathize because he never, ever says, I feel bad for somebody else doing what they're going through. Yes, if he relates to somebody's pain is because he sees it. But not because he thinks. What does it feel like in somebody's family? If they die of this virus, what does it feel like if they're poor? What does it feel like to wait eight hours in your car and hope that somebody is available and still standing to put a box of food into the back of your car? Because this is what people are going through. You never, ever hear him empathize with anybody. He has to be happy. 
And the emotion that I agree with Mary Trump that dominated his childhood was fear. A fear of rejection. A fear that he wouldn't be seen as worthy <clears throat> and great with a, from his father. But again, <clears throat> while that contributes, it really isn't a good explanation. Right. A five-year-old, a four-year-old, and a three-year-old <clears throat> has a very short attention span. They get bored very easily. Donald Trump gets bored very easily. Okay. A five, a four, and a three-year-old, unless they're an unusual five, four, or three-year-old, <clears throat> really isn't interested in learning about the larger world around them or even in them. Okay. There is a world in all of us, and it's kind of difficult to understand the world another person has in them, their thoughts, their feelings, their history. And even more difficult to do an honest job of evaluating our own thoughts and feelings. Donald goes from thing to thing. And his main goal is to be like his father and make money, avoid all forms of unhappiness, deny anything that is would be defined as failure or weakness right? and not be able to spend and not a, to spend any real time trying to understand the larger world in which he lives. <clears throat> and again, this is all conjecture and on my part, but every time he meets a dictator and it rings a bell in relation to him and his father, he wants their approval. And I think this explains a lot, but not all, of why when he meets one of the worst dictators in the world, the, the, the Kim Jong-un of North Korea, who tortures his enemies to death with blow torches and, and electrocution, who has people starving all the time while he lives in luxury, while he uh, invents uh, bombs and weapons to gratify his own fantasies of taking over the world and he forms a relationship he says he loves me because Donald is five years old or four years old or three years old he wants the approval of the tough man and I believe again the dynamic if it's factually so is the tough man was his father and he could never quite get the father's approval, and he feared the disapproval, but he really doesn't see himself as an adult. He doesn't see himself as strong. And one of the things that, that I've always wondered about is if we're feeling fear, how do we not know we're feeling fear? I, I, I write about this all the time. Freud talked about repression. Or that is, we get rid of our certain unpleasant thoughts. And I always wonder, how can we not know what we actually do know? I don't say what's true. I'm not worried about truth. But what we believe to be true. I'm sad. I'm happy. You don't ever see that in Donald. So what you see is an individual with a very short attention span 
who seemingly knows shit about the world, obviously doesn't know history, doesn't know geography. Anything that doesn't go his way, he wishes would be different. So last year during the great hurricane, he believed it went into another state. He changed the map. He wished it. He made it. And then becomes very upset and angry when people don't agree with his wishes. Now, when I said to my wife, this is what I want to talk about, she said, well, he's psychotic. I said, I don't use those. I don't diagnose. I only describe. When I watched his behavior with Chris Wallace during this interview, I feel this is a man who's coming apart psychologically. I really do. My guess is it's neurological. My guess is he's now even more dangerous than ever before. When Chris Wallace asked him, will you leave office if you lose the election? He said, uh, I'll think about it. Now, how did Donald survive all these years as a three-year-old, a five-year-old, a four-year-old? Because a three-year-old, four-year-old, five-year-old can't survive on their own. He was enabled. And this we get so clearly from Mary Trump's book. The man screwed up every business he's ever been in Donald Trump. And the father enabled him and bailed him out. When the father couldn't bail him out, the banks, and I really don't understand this, bailed him out. We're going to find out someday, and if I live long enough, I'll be there, that maybe Russia bailed him out economically. He not only screwed all his businesses, the business about, she writes about, uh, uh, you know, like a little child who wants toys. More toys are better. So he created a casino in Atlantic City, a second casino, and a third casino, all of which created competition from one of his own casinos to the other, so they all went under. This is not how an adult thinks to make a profit, but it's how a child plays with toys. Mary Trump describes that when Donald works, nobody knows what he's doing. I don't think he's doing anything. Someone else is doing something. The banks bailed him out each time. He went bankrupt over and over and over again. Why the banks did this, is, that's beyond me. Why his father did it, I could understand. Don't agree with it, but he did it. Now, <coughs> he has politicians enabling him and supporting him. And if they turn against him, because ultimately their interests only coincide with his when he feels that his coincides with theirs. Down he will go. But until that happens, they're enabling him. <clears throat> he can't do and be the president of the United States because he doesn't, nobody knows what he's doing. He plays a lot of golf. Plays a lot of golf. Not a bad way to live. Um, 
if I came back again, maybe I would take a little water. My stomach has been upset of late. I have reflux. And now I'm having a little bit of reflux that comes up into my throat and it becomes hard to talk. Anyway, I think we're all in trouble. I know I feel like I'm in trouble. But when I look at Donald Trump through my own lens, through the lens and what, the, and the, what Mary Trump in her very important book describes of his behavior over a lifetime, when I watched the interview, the first really honest interview, because it was Fox News, and I watched him and how he behaved there, how it feels like to be Donald Trump and the story he lives by and the story he tells is that of a child of three, four, or five. I don't think he's progressed. I don't think how he protects himself and how he's enabled it will ever change. The story is not over. I think of him more as a tragic figure than as a villain, although his behavior is monstrous. And by the way, uh, I was going to do a show. I've done this before. Uh, the definition of a monster is a creature that looks human but can't empathize with the pain of other people, especially the pain that the creature causes others. And that is Donald Trump. But I put monster in quotes because he's not a real monster. He's not Frankenstein. He's not Dracula. He's not some kind of machine that destroys. He's a sad human being, a tragic, flawed figure of a human being who cannot do otherwise because he's a frightened, limited, and I should have added that, he knows nothing of the world and nothing of history, and he thinks and feels like a frightened child and can only respond with anger and threat and the help of his enablers. The one real villain in all of this is that I don't think Donald Trump uh, he, he, she describes Mary Trump, a lot of racial animus and prejudice uh, in the Trump household. I don't think it was a particularly malevolent type. Um, I don't. I could be wrong, but I don't. Um, but certainly uh, uh, his, his, his writer, Stephen Miller, really is a malevolent racist. And I say that as somebody who uh, uh, would say, as if I was a little more Yiddish, a shanda, that he's Jewish, uh, a shame that he's a Jew. That anybody who, uh, parents were immigrants and escaped the Holocaust, would have reacted to it by becoming, uh, <clears throat> in philosophy, a damn Nazi, um, it, it is a tragedy and a villainy. I really, I really believe that. I don't think that's Donald. He's just an enabler for Donald. And Donald wants to be reelected. And he appeals to what is called his base. And that brings me to my final closing thought. When Donald Trump 
was running for president, one of his favorite lines was, only I can save you. And among his base are really hardcore white nationalists who love the, the swastika and would march with it, but instead substitute the, the reb flag, the rebel flag of the South. Um, he, as, as one of their leaders put it, gave them the legitimacy of their voice. But a lot of his base are religious people. And I understand they want to get rid of abortion, and I can understand the religious thought behind it. But what I have trouble is how they took Donald Trump at his face, I can save you, when they claimed that only Jesus Christ could save them. For many of these individuals, it appears to me, they not only added him in their minds to Jesus Christ, but maybe even replaced Jesus with Donald. I will go to my grave not really understanding that. In any event, we're in trouble, my darlings. I've gone on much more than the usual half hour. Uh, I do that uh, because I had a lot to say, and uh, this will tax your concentration. And I may do another show soon and say it all again in other terms and maybe take a piece of this and make another half-hour show. Uh, I'm having trouble speaking for more than a half hour. And I would wager that many of you um, are having trouble listening for more than a half hour, unless you really do uh, uh, log into this and and come into this. uh, And and we'll see what happens. So I am finished for the day. I'm going to finish watching my taping of the golf tournament yesterday and see who won. I normally at 4 o'clock watch MSNBC and Nicole Wallace, but the news gets me so upset that I won't do it. So, good evening, goodbye, good night, good luck, stay healthy, wash your hands, and uh, I hope I can contact with you, make contact with you soon again.